Sunday. Well, let's pray and dig into the Word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask now as we go to your Word that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Give us ears to hear what your Spirit would say to us. Lord, we know that none of us is here by chance, all by divine appointment. I pray for anybody who's new here tonight that they would feel welcomed and loved. And Lord, that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said... So as we've been going through 2 Chronicles, First uh, and Second Chronicles, we know, was the, were the letters written to the children of Israel who had been in Babylonian captivity, specifically those returning to Judah. And so First Chronicles really focused on King David's life. When we get to Second Chronicles, it moved to Solomon. And then we have seen listed in Chronicles both the kings in Judah and the kings in Israel. Now the kings in Israel, all of them were evil every single one of them. And so again, they're being taught, the people having been in Babylonian captivity for 70 years are being taught really why they ended up in Babylonian captivity. And it was because of their evil and idolatrous way that they lived. So now they're coming back, they're getting a history lesson. And some of the, from the Judah, and that's what Chronicles mainly focuses on, some of the kings have been good and some of them have not. Now, we're going to look at Joash as we saw last uh, two weeks ago. In, the, in chapter 23, Joash was crowned as king. And if you remember that Athaliah, she was the mother of the previous king who died, and she wanted to be queen, so she killed all her grandchildren. Yeah, it's in the Bible. It sounds like Game of Thrones or something, right? I mean, she wipes out everybody so she can be on the throne. But Jehoiada, who was the priest, hid her youngest grandson, who was only a year old. And his name was Joash. And they hid him inside the temple for six years. And Athaliah, who worshiped Baal and was uh, related to the daughter of Ahab and Jezebel. So you know she's a wicked woman when her mom broke her name because she's so evil, right? Anybody naming their kids Jezebel lately? I don't think so. So she was so wicked and so evil. So Athaliah is the one who is reigning as queen. And we saw a couple weeks ago that when Joash turned seven, Jehoiada brings him out of hiding. And by the way, it was his wife, Jehoshabeth, who found him and hid him. So they kind of parented him. Uh, they were the aunt and uncle related to him. He's the high priest. She's his wife. They wait till he's age seven. They reveal him to all of Israel. All of Israel crowns him as king. And then they kill Athaliah. They seize her, put her to death. By the way, evil never wins in the end. It, all, it, may, it may rule for a while, but it always runs out. And that's exactly what happened to Athaliah. So now as we come to tonight's text, uh, grab your outline if you have it. And if you're new to Calvary Chapel, I always do outlines and I always try to make them applicational. So when you teach inductively, it's observation, interpretation, application. What does it say? What does it mean? How does it apply to my life? So the outlines are applicational. My prayer is that you can take this home with you. So I tell the message, it's not how you start, but how you finish. Joash has started well. We're going to see he's not going to end well. If you read the first, if you read chapter 23 and the first half of chapter 24, you might want to name your children Joash. And then when you get to the end of the chapter, not so much. <laughs> it's like when I would go to India and teach up to a thousand pastors at a time how to study and teach the Bible and they would come out of Hinduism or Islam, and they would name themselves after people in the Bible. And there was one group I was with, there was like 40 Samsons. And I'm like, have you read all of it? 
they got his name out of Hebrews 11. He's in God's hall of faith. But I'm like, you might want to read the rest about Samson. Well, the same is true with Joash. We start off from what we saw last in, in chapter 23. And so I, here's the outline, starting well, giving a, a strong foundation in the truth, being raised by godly parents whose example you can follow, able to stand against lies and temptation, doing what is right in the eyes of the Lord, and behavior that reflects belief. We're going to see that in Joash's life. And when you, when you watch that, you think, here's a, here's a godly young man who's reigning as king and is honoring the Lord as king. Then having a heart for the things of God, do everything we do for the Lord with excellence, giving God our best, not the rest, serving with a heart of humility for the glory of God. Again, we're going to see that in the heart of Joash as he rebuilds the temple that was semi-destroyed, had to be repaired. It was destroyed by Athaliah because they took the stuff that was in the temple and put it into the, the place for the prophet of Baal. He comes in and repairs the temple, again, honoring the Lord. Then we see giving with a joyful serving and giving and serving with a joyful heart. Here at Calvary Chapel, we don't focus on giving unless it's in the text, right? Where God guides, God provides. God doesn't need your money. He wants your heart. If you want to give, you give and God will always work it out. Amen? And we're going to see in tonight's text that there's an opportunity for these people to give to repair, this, to repair the temple. And you know what? They're going to give faithfully and God's going to bless it. We're actually going to see the first agape box. Now you're going to know where we get it when we get to verse 8. You're going to see that's where we got the agape box. The church I pastor in Santa Cruz got very large. We still just had an agape box. And this is where I got it. Then we're going to see point number four, have to go beyond mom and dad's faith to your own. It's, it's one thing to walk with the Lord when you're being raised in a Christian family, in a Christian home. And it's another thing when now you're out on your own, are you going to continue to walk in faith? And we see it sadly in our country today that a lot of kids, when they go away to college, come back home questioning, doubting, or rejecting their faith altogether. And we're going to see in this, tonight's text that Joash, when Jehoiada, the one who's been raising him, dies, that he turns away. The same young man, the same young man who was rescued by them, the same young man who was taught the truth, the same young man who reestablished the worship of the true and living God, the same young man who sacrificially gave to rebuild the temple, as soon as the godly influence is out of his life and he's impacted by the ungodly counsel of an ungodly world, he's going to turn his back on God. And guys, I, my exhortation for all of us, this is why I love that we have a great youth group. I'm thankful that we have a young adults Bible study. You know, when we're young in our faith, we got to go beyond mom and dad's faith to our own faith. Amen? God has no grandchildren. It needs to be your own walk. Number five, walk not in the counsel of the ungodly. We're going to see that real faithfulness is seen when you're out on your own, when you're going to serve, uh, you know, when you're, when you're going to serve, when you're surrounded by the world, and are you strong enough in your faith to stand against ungodly counsel? My faith was challenged the most in my life uh, when I was in college. And then it was challenged, as most of you know, until just a few months ago. Uh, I had a career work for the same company for 35 years. And it was a godless company because it was, you know, that's what happens, right? It was the world. 
And you know what? In those environments, this is a faith that hasn't been tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. And it's when your faith is put to the test, you find out what's really on the inside. And we're going to see in tonight's text, ungodly counsel is going to come around. And instead of him impacting them, they're going to impact him. And guys, we're either impacting the world or the world's impacting us. Amen? Point number six, how you respond to godly correction. We're going to see godly correction come when he walks away from the Lord. And we're going to see how he responds to it. And it's really tragic. And then finally, God's blessing or his righteous judgment. Which one do you want? Because you're going to get one or the other. Amen? You cannot fellowship and rebellion. Choose one. You cannot walk in fellowship with God and walk in open rebellion with God at the same time. If you're walking in rebellion, here's the good news. Repent and get right with God. Amen? But you cannot rebel against God, shake your fist, God, and be in intimate, intimate fellowship with God. And so we'll see all that in tonight's text. And so let's get to it. So, not how you start, but how you finish. But he that endures to the end shall be saved. We're going to see young Joash starting well. Let's begin there in verse 1 of 2 Chronicles 24. It says, Joash was seven years old when he became king, and he reigned 40 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Zibiah of Beersheba. So this was the boy king when his father was killed by Jehu. His grandmother, Athaliah, again, decided to take control by killing everyone that could have possibly had a claim to the crown. She kills all of his brothers, all of his cousins. They're all dead. He gets hidden. He survives. And as we saw in chapter 23, he's presented as king. Athaliah, again, was struck down. He reigned 40 years. Now, this is a long and mostly blessed reign. But we're going to see Joash is going to fall short when it comes to complete godliness. He's going to start well, but he's not going to finish well. You know, he's a much more godly king, replacing the wicked and murderous queen. But his faithful and fearless aunt became a tool in the hand of the master. She was the one that rescued him. So they're the ones raising him. And he's the, they're the reason why that he's making a stand for God as a young man. Now again, faithful when no one is watching, that's what his aunt did. She literally put her life on the line by rescuing him, much like what happened with Moses, right? The person that rescued them, they're putting their life on the line. If it was found out, so here is aunt who's married to the high priest. They're going, they've been hiding him in the temple for six years. He's been presented as king and he is going to reign for 40 years. Sadly, not all of those 40 years are going to be done well. His mom's name, she was married to Ahaziah, uh, which we saw earlier in the text. Verse 2 said, Joash did what was right in the sight of the Lord all the days of, not Joash, but all the days of Jehoiada the priest. So Jehoiada the priest is the one who's been raising him. Jehoiada the priest is a godly man who does not fear men, but only fears God. He's a righteous man, and he's been raising him in a godly way. And notice right here, this is tipping us off, that he was a godly man as long as the high priest was alive. He was a godly man as long as his uncle was still around. And he was basically his dad. Because his own father it was gone, as we know. 
and his own grandmother wanted him dead. So who was he being raised by? He's being raised by his uncle, who's also the high priest, who's teaching him the way that he should go. The problem's going to come when Jehoiada dies. He has to go beyond mom and dad's faith to his own faith. And again, we're going to see that Joash really is two men in tonight's text. He's a godly king, and then he's a terrible, wicked king. And it's all going to happen in this span of 40 years. He's going to be a godly man for about 23 of them. And then we're going to see when his uncle dies, that when he's left on his own, we're going to find out if his faith is real. And I would challenge the young people who are here and those watching on live stream or hear this on the radio later, that guys, I'm, I'm exhorting you and challenging you that you need to have your own walk and your own faith and you need to be able to stay, know what you believe and why you believe it and you need to be able to stand for the truth when everyone around you may not be doing that because your mom and dad, again, once you move out of your home, now it's up to you to have that relationship with the Lord. Bad company corrupts good morals. And we become like the people that we hang out with. It says in Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 7, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words which I command you this day shall be in your heart. And you shall teach them diligently unto your children. And you shall talk to them when they sit in the house, when they walk by the way, when they lay down and when they rise up. This verse is exhorting parents. I could even say grandparents, that we need to raise our kids in a godly home. And we need to be teaching about the Lord as we walk down the road. One of the things I loved to do when my kids were younger is I would love to, when I would go do errands, take one of my kids with me. And I would love to just talk to them about the Lord just as we're driving around in the car. I love when we drove on vacations and we would play Bible baseball in the car. And, you know, when they were little, we had the felt board up and we're teaching them lessons. And, and guys, the number one place our kids and grandkids should hear about the Lord is at home. What happens here ought to be gravy. Can I get amen to that? Now, when I was a youth pastor, I used to have, I was a youth pastor for 15 years, which meant I ministered to high schoolers on purpose, Okay. And I do, to this day, love junior high and high schoolers because they're making such an important time of their life on who they're going to follow, who they're going to serve. But I'd have parents come to me and say, well, my son's 15. He doesn't want to come to church anymore. So, you know, I think he's old enough to make his own decision. I'm like, really? If he doesn't want to go to math on Monday, is he going? Oh, he has to have math. Oh, he has to have math, but he doesn't have to have Jesus? Guys, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Amen. And it's not a democracy. Guys, you're called to be the spiritual leaders in your home. And if he doesn't want to go to church, I remember, I've told this before, my brother turned 18. My dad was pastoring the church up in Santa Cruz at the time. And my brother turns 18 and my dad would always wake us up. Time to get up. Man, you'd hear that coming through the whole house. <laughs> Time, get up. All right, maybe get up. Said, you prepare for Sunday morning on Saturday night. You don't stay out late. He woke us up and, and we're getting up to go. I'm getting up and my brother's laying in bed. I'm like, Mark, you better get out of bed. He's like, I'm 18. I don't have to go. Okay, we'll see how that goes. <laughs> so my dad's like, where's your brother? He's still in bed, dad. Okay, he goes upstairs and he says to him, dad, I'm 18. I don't have to go. I'm an adult. My dad said, you're right. And he started, he said, call this worship leader, said, go ahead and start. I'll be there by the time worship's over. And he started packing my brother's stuff into a suitcase. 
And my brother's like, what are you doing? He said, well, you don't have to go, but you ain't going to live here because that's for me and my house. We will serve the Lord. Amen. And I don't care how old you are. If you live in this house, we go to church. Pastor Chuck Smith said he had a drug problem growing up. He said his mom drove, they drug him to church, they drug him to Sunday school, and they drug him to midweek fellowship, and they drug him to, to prayer meetings, right? So guys, we need to raise our kids in a godly home. We set a godly standard. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Amen? Ungodly and, ungodly and worldly influences are coming for your kids. They're coming for your kids. I just saw a quote by by our president today saying the government, the government, for the government, they're all our kids. Don't, dude, none of them are your kids. The government doesn't birth kids, you do, amen? The government has no rights over our kids. We raise our kids in a godly home, we teach them the truth, we need to teach them to make a stand against an ungodly world, amen? They need a foundation of truth so they can stand up against the lies and temptation, verse three. And Jehoiada took two wives, for him. He had sons and daughters. Now, nowhere in the Bible does it condone polygamy. Amen? So this shows that even Jehoiada was a godly man, made some ungodly choices. Amen? But here's what I really want you to see from this verse. Joash must trust Jehoiada deeply because who in the world, you better trust somebody if they're picking out your spouses. Amen? <laughs> If somebody's picking out your spouse, it must be somebody you trust. So even though he's the high priest who has been raising Joash, by this point, Joash is much older. Obviously, he's getting married. And he's picking out his spouses for him, and he is trusting him to do it. So right off the bat, he's starting well. He's being taught the truth. He's standing for the truth. He's got a godly example who's leading him and directing him. Point number two, having a heart for the things of God. Look at verse four. Now it happened after this that Joash set his heart on repairing the house of the Lord. This is a godly concern that Joash had concerning the temple. Now this reminds me of King David back in first Chronicles. Remember King David said to God, how can I live in a palace and you live in a tent? Now, again, we know that God is everywhere. He's almighty, all-powerful, omniscient, right? He's everywhere all at once. But the house of God was a tabernacle. It was a tent. And we know that David had a heart to build a temple for the Lord. Then the Lord came to him. God came to him and said, no, you can't because you're a man of war. But he said, but your son will build it. So what did David do? He got all the... All the, stuff, all the things they needed together to build it, got all the craftsmen together, and he got the, literally drew out the designs that God had given him of what it would look like, and then Solomon built it. So he had a heart for God. And here's Joash feeling the same way, because what happened? When Athaliah was ruling as queen, what did she do? She built up Baal worship, and she brought great damage, stole things out from the inside of the temple. And now Joash is king, Athaliah is dead. In the previous chapter, we saw that they wiped out the prophets of Baal. And what, is it, what does he want to do? He's saying, look, the temple should not look like that. It needs to be repaired. And he has a heart to do that for the Lord. Then it says, and he gathered the priests, verse five, and the Levites and said to them, go out into the cities of Judah and gather from all Israel money to repair the house of God from year to year and see that you do it quickly. 
However, the Levites did not do it quickly. So he calls in the spiritual leaders and says, here's what we need to do. You need to go door to door. And there was a tax that Moses had installed, a yearly tax where they gave a shekel every year. And what that was for was for the maintaining of the temple. So he's telling them to go out and collect this tax, maybe before it was due, so they could start working on the temple. They'd have the resources. And then the Levites didn't want to do it. Because how many people really want to go out and collect money? Anybody want to do that? Anybody want to go door to door? Dude, I need some money from you. Nobody wants to do that. Well, the Levites were supposed to do that, but they didn't want to do that. And by the way, when you're in ministry, there will always be things that you don't want to do that you need to do anyway. Amen? Everybody thinks that when you're in ministry, they see the things that are easy, not the things that are difficult. And again, here's the exhortation. So they didn't do it quickly, and no one really likes collecting money. And they may have also thought it would impact the amount of money given to the temple and taken away from their own support. By the way, slow obedience is disobedience. Amen? When you're called to do something by the Lord, it's not in a minute. Amen? My whole generation, I, I, ne- I don't think I ever told my dad in my life in a minute, because in a second, that belt would have been out in Jesus' name, amen? So they ask him to do it. They don't respond quickly, verse 6. So the king called Jehoiada, the chief priest, and said to him, why have you not required the Levites to bring in from Judah and from Jerusalem the collection according to the commandment of Moses that the servant of the Lord and of the assembly of Israel for the tabernacle of witness. Now notice, he's calling out the man who raised him. He calls to Jehoiada, who's the high priest, but now he is the king. And so even though Jehoiada raised him, Jehoiada is submitted to him. And what a humble man it must be to raise a child and then submit to him. And the greatest example I have of this, many of you have heard this, my dad was a pastor for 60 years. And when I was teaching at Calvary San Jose, the last time I was teaching, very large church, and I'm teaching there, and I've been there for five years, I knew during that service that I was done, that it was time to go plant the church. God just pressed it on my heart. You're done teaching here. And on that Sunday, my brother came forward and got saved. I didn't even know he was there. But after the service, I go outside, and my dad's out in the foyer, and he's got something he wrote on the bulletin, and he said, son, I want you to read this and pray about it. And it says, son... During the message today, God made it clear that he's done through with you here, and that you're called to go plant a church, and your mom and I want to go with you, and I will be your assistant. Now, my dad is my favorite Bible teacher of my life, and my dad is going to be my assistant. And sure enough, he went with me to Santa Cruz, and my dad was making coffee and setting up chairs when the church first started. We served together for 10 years. It was amazing. And he would come into my office, hey, son, is it okay if I leave early for lunch to meet your mom? I'm like, yeah, dad, that would be fine. <laughs> he would come and say, Calvary Fremont wants me to come teach on Sunday. I told him I had to ask my pastor's permission first. I'm like, yeah, dad, that would be just fine. But you know what? Him being humbled like that humbled me. And so Jehoiada is being humbling himself to serve this young man that he raised and notice that Joash is kind of getting after him. Hey, why have they not collected it? We need to rebuild the temple. You need to get after these guys. You know what? They first started collecting money for temple repair, but after a while, 
He began to notice that nothing was being done. And guys, we need to be faithful to finish what we start. You know, the Bible says in Proverbs, the lazy man does not roast what he, what, what he took in hunting, but diligence is a man's precious possession. It says in Philippians, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you is faithful to complete it. Guys, we need to be faithful to what we've started. We need to finish well. We need to do things as unto the Lord. So he tells him in verse 7, he says there, For the sons of Athaliah, that wicked woman, had broken into the house of God and had also presented all the dedicated things of the house of the Lord to the Baal. So Jehoiada, of course, already knew this. Joash reminds him, this is why we need to take up a collection so we can restore the temple because it's been torn down. It needs to be repaired because of what that wicked Athaliah, by the way, he's talking about his grandma, but that wicked grandmother of mine who was seized and put to death she brought destruction to the temple. So I love his heart here. He's got a heart for the things of God. He's focusing on making sure that again, that the temple is being properly taken care of. He's burdened by the condition of the temple and he's determined to restore it, to bring glory and honor to the Lord. So again, this explains why it was in such disrepair. It's because of the idol worshipers had brought destruction. By the way, I don't know if you saw this this week. I just said this and I put it on my Facebook page and it looks like it didn't go out very far, but it's this guy in an Episcopal church getting up and being blasphemous. And he basically says, the word of God is filled with errors and he prays to mother nature, mother God and mother spirit and all this other nonsense. And it's just, and I'm just, my head's about to explode. And then it shows the video. And then at the end of it, it shows lightning hitting the church. It catches on fire and it burns to the ground. God will not be mocked. Can I get an amen to that? And the reality is that God suffers long, but he won't suffer always. And, and the truth is that our God is faithful and in control and he shows mercy, but there are times when the mercy's up and he's going to bring righteous judgment. And so here he is. He's saying, look, we got to fix this place. It needs to be honoring unto the Lord. Point number three giving and serving with a joyful heart. Look at verse eight. Then the king's command, they made a chest and set it outside the gate of the house of the Lord. Now I think this is the first agape box. Here it is. So what, is, what happened was because the people, the, the Levites were going out to collect money, they felt awkward doing it. And he said, you know what? We're just going to put a chest. And actually, when you look at the companion text, they put it in the temple area, right near the altar where sacrifices were made. So that when people came to make sacrifice, they could also come and give financially. And so what it was, it was people coming with a cheerful heart. Again, they were not being, they were not being you know, forced. They were not being manipulated. They would just, when they came of their own free will in their own way. And that's why I like the agape box again, because people give because they want to. And, no, and I don't know what anybody gives. You don't have to feel guilty if you don't. That's what you knew in the Lord. And God provides and God is faithful. Amen? And we don't, need to, we don't need to beat that up. So it allowed people to give freely as they moved or moved by the Lord from a cheerful heart, not manipulated by men. None of this, give me a seed offering nonsense. Those guys' church might get hit by lightning next. But you know what? Give me a seed. Why were you planting the seed in their backyard? That's why I always wonder. But fair to have an idea, again, where the resources are given go. By the way, quickly, if you don't know where the resources go here, first of all, you can look at our books anytime you want. If you give here, you can absolutely look. 
But know this, that we pay rent here, and it's great that we pay rent to a Christian school. Amen? Because then it furthers the Christian school. That's a wonderful thing. Um, we have pa- now you have a pastor on staff, and you have some other pastors that are paid a housing allowance. We're on, we have radio ministry. We're on five stations and growing. Uh, Bayamba, through Uganda, right? The, the uh, orphanage that is there. We have 10 kids that we sponsor as a church, along with all the kids that we sponsor uh, universally. The Crisis Pregnancy Center, known as Ohana, we give a monthly amount there, pretty healthy amount every month. Uh, we pay the rent for a church plant in Brazil. By the way, that church is flourishing. And we, we were there from day one. It was a guy that graduated from Bible college with my son who grew up in Brazil, knew we could trust him. We've been paying their rent since day one. And that church is growing. Kids, people are getting baptized. People are getting saved. And because you guys are being faithful to give, amen? Bibles, I love it. I think we go through, I don't know how many hundreds of Bibles a year. And I love it. I love giving Bibles away. By the way, if you don't have a Bible, take one of those. We'll buy more. Amen? We also give to the Gideons, the children's ministry curriculum, the sound equipment, uh, stuff for live stream, ministering to those in need in the fellowship. There's not a, a month that goes by, rarely a week that goes by, that somebody in the fellowship doesn't need help, and we help them. Because again, those who faithfully give, we're able to minister to those that are in need. Amen? Uh, We help with retreats and things like that. Uh, Our website itself, uh, by the way, we need some help with that. Uh, A couple of things. We have a lot of people calling that want to give on Venmo. We don't have a Venmo for the church. I got to figure out how to do that. Okay. I'm not Mr. Techie. I'm Mr. Bible teacher. Can I get anyone to that? (laughs) Just stuff like that. And and, and so um, there's so many other things that take place where, again, we want to take God's resources and use it for the furtherance of the kingdom of God. Amen. We also have given above and beyond here at the school. There was a kid last year who couldn't pay his tuition, and he was halfway through the year, and we paid it. Uh, when they needed some, some other things done here on the campus, we paid it. As you know, the tent that we meet in on Sundays out here has needed some repairs from time to time. And again, so all of it's God's money. We want to use all of it for God's glory. Amen? And you, you need to know that's where the money goes, and if you ever want to take a look at every penny, we will, we will absolutely let you do that because we want to be accountable before the Lord. Verse 9 and 10. So he, the king puts out the chest and it says, they made a proclamation throughout Judah. Now remember that the kingdom was cut in half, Israel and Judah. The 10 northern nations, 10 northern, northern uh, tribes are, are Israel and the two southern tribes are Judah. So at this point, he is only the king over Judah. So throughout all of Judah, this proclamation goes out. And it says throughout Judah and Jerusalem to bring the Lord, the collection that Moses, the servant of God, had imposed on Israel in the wilderness. Then all the leaders and all the people rejoiced and brought their contributions to put them in the big chest until all had given. Now notice, they, they exhorted them or encouraged them to give, but they all gave freely and they all chose to give. And God loves a cheerful giver. To me, giving is an act of worship. The reality of my, this is just not my life. To me, everything I have belongs to the Lord. I live in God's house. I drive God's car. I'm wearing God's shoes. This is God's stuff. It's all his. Amen. And if it all belongs to him, then, you know, we want to be good stewards of that. And we want to be faithful to that. And so the people were rejoicing. The people came out in droves and gave. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 9, so let each one of us give as he purposes in his heart, not begrudgingly out of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Verse 11. So 
It was at that time when the chest was brought to the king's official by the hand of the Levites, when they saw that there was much money, that the kings and the scribes and the high priests and the officer came and emptied the chest and took and returned it to its place. Thus they did it day by day and gathered money in abundance. So again, where God guides, God provides. By the way, here's a Pastor Dave pet peeve, I guess. When I hear people on the radio saying, if you don't give today, we're going off the air. I'm go off the air then. Amen? When somebody's begging or pleading or manipulating, I'm out. Can I get an amen to that? Because where God guides, God provides. We, we, we will never have a thermometer on the wall. We'll never ask you for a dime. We never have. We never will. And God has always provided. Amen? You want cheerful givers, not people who are being manipulated to give. Verse 12 and 13, and the king and Jehoiada gave it to those who did the work of the service of the house of the Lord. They hired masons and carpenters to repair the house of the Lord, and also those who worked in iron and bronze to restore the house of the Lord. So the workmen labored, and the work was completed by them. They restored the house of the Lord to its original condition and reinforced it. So not only should we give but when it's given, those who oversee the giving should be faithful stewards with it. So what did they do? They took it and they hired people and put them in place to help build or rebuild the temple. And they were faithful and they completed the task. Now in Santa Cruz, after 10 years of being in a gym, church had grown very large and we finally found a building. Santa Cruz didn't want us anywhere. Everywhere we went, they turned us down. We went before the city council many times, and they shut us down. So we found one in a nearby city in Scotts Valley, and we rented 34,000 square feet, but it was just a shell. So we had all these guys. We had some that we hired, but we had guys from our church that would work a full day and then would come to the church and work till 1 or 2 in the morning. And it was one of the greatest things because everybody was there together and we were doing it for the Lord. We had Christian music playing and pizzas out and it was great fellowship. And I'm not a craftsman by any chance, any stretch of the imagination, but I can carry, you know, stuff around. I can pick up drywall, right? But it was an amazing, amazing time. And I think these guys are gathered together and here they are working in the temple and they're getting, you know, they're getting paid to do it, but they're doing it for the Lord at the same time. They finished the job. They set the house of God back to how it once was, and they strengthened it. They reinforced it and praised God for that. Then it says in verse 14, when they had finished, they brought the rest of the money before the king and Jehoiada. Notice Jehoiada is always in the room when they're making decisions. And they made from it articles for the house of the Lord, articles for serving and offering spoons and vessels of gold, and silver, and they offered burnt offerings in the house of the Lord continually all the days of Jehoiada. So now the temple's been rebuilt. They bring in the leftover money that after they've rebuilt the temple itself to rebuild all the, you know, the utensils and things that they use to make sacrifice. And now sacrifices are being made once again, and they're going on continually. And the sacrifices, as we know, the shedding of blood, all of it was pointing to the coming Messiah. Amen and it would all be fulfilled by Jesus. So point number three, giving and serving with a joyful heart. So notice that again, didn't require manipulation. People were given an opportunity. They gave, they served. God was glorified. Now everything changes right here. So far, Joash doing good. Now watch what happens. 
Point number four, having to go beyond mom and dad's faith to your own. But, verse 15, Jehoiada grew old and was full of days and he died. He was 130 years old when he died. Now, even in those days, this was considered a very long life. And Jehoiada had been a faithful man of God. And God was using him mightily. And God had him there to come alongside Joash starting at age seven. By the time we get to this point, Joash is about 30. So for the first 23 years of him reigning, probably his early 30s, those, at the first 23, 25 years of him reigning, Jehoiada is standing alongside him. The guy that raised him, a godly man who's honoring to the Lord, and now he dies. And no doubt for Joash, this is a tragic event. The guy that he would call, the guy that he would you know, get godly counsel from is no longer there. I remember my dad died in 2017. I used to talk to my dad almost every day. I would be driving between sales calls and I'd pick up the phone and call my dad and he'd always say, okay, what are you teaching on Sunday, son? Well, you know, son, I'm going to be in 2 Chronicles 24. Oh, that's Jehoiada. And we'd be talking about the Lord and we would just be talking about the things of God and things that God was doing. And my dad at the end of his life was blind. He'd gone blind from a stroke. He would get up at two, in the midnight and take the midnight to, to 4 a.m. shift on Jesus.com where people called in and had questions. And my blind dad would sit there in his little office while he was blind, answering questions about Jesus in the middle of the night. That's called finishing strong. Can I get an amen to that? And so I, but I, I remember when I couldn't call him anymore. It's kind of heartbreaking. There were several times where I would think, well, I wonder what dad, oh, wait a minute. What do you think, dad? He's not going to talk about, right? He's in heaven now, absent from the body, present with the Lord. Well, that's just what happened with Joash. This man that raised him, he's died. Look at verse 16. It says there, And they buried him in the city of David among the kings because he had done good in Israel, both toward God and his house. Now, what's amazing about this, he gets buried among the kings and he's not a king. He's a priest. And they honor him like he's a king. Now, why do you think they did that? Because he raised the king. Because he stood alongside the king. He helped the king govern. And the people recognized what a godly man he was, what a blessing he had been to Judah. And they literally gave him an honor that you don't see anywhere else in the Bible. He's the only person that's not a king that I've seen in the Bible anywhere that gets buried and honored at his death like he is a king. Now keep that in mind because we're going to see just the opposite at the end of the chapter. So here he is. And he's given all this honor, and it speaks how highly he was thought of. He had a positive impact on Judah, as if he was a king without being a king. And he did so by just being a faithful and godly man who walked in faithful obedience to the Lord. It's amazing how much influence one man or one woman can have. One man or one woman who's willing to stand up for the things of God when surrounded by a godless people can have a huge impact on the world. Most of you guys know one of my many favorite verses in the Bible. It's in 2 Chronicles. Earlier we saw it. The eyes of the Lord search to and fro among the whole earth, seeking one who can show himself strong on account of one whose heart is loyal to him. God is looking not for a better method or a better message or a better building. He's looking for men and women who are available and willing to be used for his kingdom and for his glory. And my heart would be, here I am, Lord, send me. Amen? 
Whatever the question is, Lord, the answer is yes. I want to be used for your kingdom. And here, this man, Jehoiada, what did he do? He was a man who stood faithful, honored God, was used mightily, and gets buried with the kings because he was a man who stood for God when, when very few people would and had an impact on the entire nation. He risked his life in rescuing Joash. His wife did it, but he, he was with her. They raised him in hiding. They brought him forth when it was time, and he walked alongside him for the next 20 plus years. And God brought great things to the nation, and the people recognized it. And my prayers for us is don't downplay how much God can use you or God can use me. If we will make a stand for the Lord, we will be unashamed of the gospel. By the way, when you go to work tomorrow, the Holy Spirit just entered the building. Amen? When you're in your neighborhood, you're the Holy Spirit in that neighborhood. When you're in the grocery store, wherever you go, you represent the Lord. You're filled with the Spirit of the living God, and God wants to use you for his kingdom and for his glory if you will but let him. Amen? And I love this example of this godly man. Again, never underestimate what God can do with a man or a woman who has fully surrendered to him. Here's where it gets bad. Point number five, walk not in the counsel of the ungodly. So Jehoiada is the guy he would always get counsel from, and Jehoiada is not there anymore. So what's he going to do? Look at verse 17. It says there, Now, after the death of Jehoiada, the leaders of Judah came and bowed down to the king, and the king listened to them. Therefore, they left the house of the Lord God of their fathers and served wooden images and idols. And the wrath came upon Judah and Jerusalem because of their trespass. So these guys come in, and they bow to the king, and then It's not in this text, but we know that he gets ungodly counsel, and I can almost hear it. You know, hey, King Joash, you need to be a little more tolerant of other religions. And you need to know that some people worship other gods, but that should be okay. You know, you're not a a bailiphobe, are you? Right? (laughs) Right? Just call me an ophobe and tell me I'm ungodly and tell me how unloving I am. I want to tell you something. The most loving, kind, gracious thing we can do is stand for the things of God and point out every false gospel that's taken people to hell without Jesus. Amen? It's not loving. to to Being tolerant doesn't mean approving of ungodly behavior. Now, we need to love everybody. I love everybody. I truly love everybody. I want to see everybody saved. But because I love you doesn't mean that I have to agree with you. Amen? And the truth is, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. You cannot get to heaven any other way. And we should never, ever, ever dial that down, not for one minute, not one day, not one second. We need to stand for the things of God. Amen? And that's exactly what needed to take place here. But guess what happens? They came in and bowed to the king. You need to be more tolerant. Well, you know, hey, we need to go do this. And Jehoiada's not there. So he listens to the counsel of the ungodly. Now, the the reality is he's old enough that he should be strong enough in his faith that he says no, but he doesn't. And you know what it seems to me like? Again, Joash is two men. He's one man when he's around the godly, and he's another man when he's led by the ungodly. 
And the sad part is, it tells me that this man had no spiritual backbone at all. He was not one who would stand for the things of God. And it's absolutely tragic. These evil men, I think they were lurking and waiting for Jehoiada to die. I think they were sitting on the sidelines just waiting. We got to get that Jehoiada out of there. Once he's out of there, then we can go in and we can get a hold of young Joash and we can turn him our way. And that's exactly what happens is, again, Jehoiada's gone. Your, your 18-year-old son or daughter just went off to college. Mom and dad are not in the dorm room. They're not in their philosophy class. They're not there when it's gay pride month. By the way, veterans get a day. Mothers get a day. Fathers get a day. Jesus gets two days. And perversion gets a month. Help me out with that. We're living in the last days. Can I get an amen to that? But they're off at school, and now it's got to be their own faith. Or when, you know, when I die and go to heaven, my kids got to have their own faith. And you know what? The thing that we need to do as parents is do everything we can to raise them up in the Lord. So then when they walk out of the house, they're prepared to face it. Amen? And that's what we see here is Jehoiada is gone and Joash fails miserably. There's nothing new under the sun. Again, Satan, wicked. You know, by the way, do you know that Satan, again, we don't address Satan, we leave him to the Lord. Amen? But do you know that, that Satan and the demonic, they fear godly people. They fear people that stand for the things of God and worship God. And they're looking for opportunities when you're in your most you know, vulnerable moment to attack. Joash is in a vulnerable moment. His leader, his, basically his father, the man that raised him just died. It seems like his aunt must be gone too because she's not mentioned anymore. And he's 130, so she's probably not around. And now all of a sudden, it's left to him. When my dad died, and then not long after that, my big brother died, and my son died that same year, or my mom died. My mom, my son, and my brother all died in one year. And now recently, my uncle died, and literally now I am the patriarch of my family. I'm talking about across the country. And, I'm, and, I'm, and I, I'll be honest with you, I'm okay with it, but I, don't, I just assume that I still had some people I could call. Because after my dad died, my uncle was a seminary uh, professor for 65 years, and I used to call him, and he sounded like my dad, so I would call him up, Uncle Eddie, hey. And you know what, now that's Joash. Joash has to be the man that knows what he believes and why he believes it. Or he needs to surround himself by the priest that take, took over with Jehoiada. He doesn't do that. He listens to the ungodly, and he's quickly manipulated. And all of, all of a sudden, he had rebuilt a temple, he had destroyed the place where Baal was worshipped, and just that quick, what is he doing? They left the house of the Lord God of their fathers and served the golden images and idols. They walked away from the God that they were raised, that he was raised to know. The same thing that happens today. This is a popular term, deconstructing my faith. Anybody seen that? And they say they're deconstructing their faith. I'm a Christian, but I deconstructed my faith. And I'm, here's what I want to tell you. If you're deconstructing, you were never saved. Because if you know the Lord, you're not going to walk away from the Lord. Amen? Now, again, you may have a time. Now, no, this means I'm old. We used to call them backsliders. You remember that? 
Always envision them sliding backwards down a mud hill, right? Backsliders. They see you're backslidden, but they would come back. And again, ultimately, that's still the case. But when someone says, I reject the Bible, I reject God, I don't believe it anymore, I've deconstructed my faith, I'm not, I don't believe anymore, I would say you never did. Because if you did, you would not walk away. Amen? Notice it says, they left, they left the house of the Lord God of our fathers. The Bible says, forsake not the gathering yourselves together. Notice when he fell, when he stopped being in fellowship first. When you forsake being in God's, with God's people first. Now, I know this is going to sound self-serving because I'm the pastor here, but the reality is that we need to be in fellowship. Amen? Christianity is not for the lone ranger. When, you're, when does the enemy attack? When you're alone. When do you struggle the most? When, we're, when you're out of fellowship, when you're not being fed spiritually, when you're not spending time in the word, when you're not around other believers, when you're not using your gifts to minister to someone else and letting them, letting them use their gifts to, serve, to minister to you. And it says right there in verse 18, they left the house of the Lord God of their fathers and then they went into idolatry. I have people all the time that say, well, I don't believe that I have to be in fellowship I just, you know, I, I'm in fellowship when I'm on the golf course or when I'm surfing or whatever. Yeah, show, I'm going to show you in the Bible 100 verses that you should be in fellowship. Show me one that says you shouldn't. Amen? And I am preaching to the choir here on Thursday night, right? Verse 19. Now, so here's what happens. The very idolatrous Baal worship that he tore down, he now is involved in worship. And so what does God do? Verse 19. Yet he sent prophets to them to bring them back to the Lord, and they testified against them, but they would not listen. So when he walked away from the Lord, God brings a young man, we'll see in a minute, by the name of Zechariah. Now here's what you need to know about Zechariah. Zechariah's dad is Jehoiada, and his mom is Jehoshabeth the one that rescued Joash. So Joash grew up with him. Joash knew his father and his mother very well, obviously. Zechariah had to have a relationship with him. They were basically like stepbrothers, right? They're being raised together. So Zechariah, God sends him out and he comes before these other leaders who have drug him away and he exhorts them all to get right with the Lord, to get back with the Lord. And praise God for godly people standing up and telling you the truth even when you don't want to hear it. Amen? You've heard me say that Christians don't stab each other in the back, we stab each other in the front. Amen? We need people that love us enough to, to bring it to us when we need to hear it. Look at verse 20. Then the Spirit of God came upon Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada, the priest, who stood above the people and said to them, thus says God, why do you transgress the commandments of the Lord so that you cannot prosper? By the way, that is a underlinable verse. Why do you transgress the commandments of the Lord so that you cannot prosper? Now, the prosperity it's talking about here has nothing to do with wealth. But if our lives are going to be fruitful, our lives will not be fruitful if we transgress the commandments of God. Amen? You cannot walk in open rebellion against God and expect God to bless you. It can't. It won't happen. And so here he is exhorting them. And he's talking to these guys who have drug his stepbrother in a sense. They grew up together. 
and he's drugging them away into idol worship. And I want you to notice that the spirit of God came upon Zechariah. You know how many times that term is in the Old Testament? Three. Keep in mind in the Old Testament, you did not get the Holy Spirit when you were saved, right? Jesus hadn't come yet, but the Holy Spirit would be poured out upon people for a specific task at a specific time. Now, others have the Spirit poured on them, but the Spirit of God is only in the Old Testament three times. Twice of it, two of the times are here in Chronicles. So the Spirit of God falls upon him. He's empowered by Almighty God. He goes to speak for God to Joash, who had been raised in a godly home, who had repaired the temple, and who was honoring unto God until Jehoiada died. And now Jehoiada's replacement... The new priest that took his place, his son, comes and approaches him and exhorts him. You've heard me say this many times. When confronted with sin, you can do one of three things. Make excuses, accuse others, or repent. Amen? And so he's going to be confronted in his sin. And how is... Now, I would understand Joash just took over as king without Jehoiada. Okay, he made a horrible choice. Holy Spirit comes and, and using Zechariah to confront him. Wouldn't this be a wonderful time to repent? Hasn't that happened in all of our lives? Amen? Where you do something horrible, you're outside of God's will, God brings someone to speak to you, and it's an opportunity to repent. Amen? So here's his opportunity to repent, but how is he going to respond? So Zechariah is the son of the woman who saved Joash's life. Son of the father that raised him and led him spiritually. He's like a brother to him. Zechariah's name means Jehovah remembers. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. And again, what is the message to the king that once served him? Why do you transgress the commandment of the Lord so that you cannot prosper? Now, how is he going to respond? Notice what he says here. And by the way, the word forsaken there, because you have forsaken the Lord. Look at the rest of the verse. It says, because you have forsaken the Lord, he has also forsaken you. The word forsaken there means to leave behind, to depart from, or to desert. He deserted the Lord. He left the Lord alone. He walked away from the Lord. He left the Lord behind. There can be nothing worse than to be forsaken by... He forsook the Lord, so the Lord's going to forsake him. Can there be anything worse said to you than that the Lord has forsaken you? The Lord has left you. The Lord has removed himself from you. The Lord has deserted you. And that's what he's being told. Now, again, this should be a wake-up call. This should be a call to repentance, But sadly, look at verse 21. So they conspired against him, and at the command of the king, that's Joash, they stoned him with stones in the court of the house of the Lord. They stoned the son of the man that raised him, the son of the woman that saved him, the young man that grew up with him, and they threw rocks at him until he died in the court of the Lord in the place where sacrifices were made to the true and living God, the place that he had restored with Jehoiada's help. And now what does he do? He kills Jehoiada's son, the prophet Zechariah, because he dared to tell him that he was in sin, he was in rebellion, he needed to get right with God, and that God had forsaken him. And instead of repenting, 
What does he do? He kills the messenger. See, when you don't like the message, you want to silence the message. Guys, we're living in a time right now when the world wants to silence the message of Christianity. Amen? Now, here's what I want to tell you. Wherever you go, whatever you do, as I said earlier, you represent Jesus Christ and do not let the world make you be silent. Amen? They can keep, people say, well, they're taking the Ten Commandments down off buildings. I wish they would keep them up. But let me ask you, how many of you guys know the Ten Commandments? And how many of you share them with people? Because they can't shut you up. Can I get an amen to that? And you know, we've got the world that's telling us what we can and cannot do. And the government telling, we don't obey, we obey God rather than man all day long. Amen? That's why we stayed open during COVID. I caught a lot of flack. And I told you if the black plague comes and people are dropping dead, being within 100 feet of each other, we're just going to have church anyway and all go to heaven together because we're going to have church. Right? If Home Depot is open, the church should be open. Can I get amen to that? But Joash's heart was so hardened, both the king and the people conspired against Zechariah for doing something simple. He spoke the truth. Now watch. Verse 22. Thus Joash, the king, did not remember the kindness which Jehoiada, his father, had done to him, but killed his son. And as he died, he said, the Lord, look on it and repay He wasn't quite as gracious as Jesus who said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Or Stephen who said something similar when he was stoned to death. He said, Lord, get them. Now just repay them. Now again, you can interpret it that he was saying, Lord, it's in your hands. I'm not taking vengeance in my heart. Lord, it's in your hands. Do as you will. We're going to see the Lord is going to bring righteous judgment. He's changed from a man who's building the temple and honoring the Lord to a man who kills God's prophet by throwing rocks at him in the very courtyard of the very temple that he rebuilt. This man has gone from a man who is following, you know, from outward appearance, following God to as wicked a man as you're going to see in the Bible. And guys, that's why it's not how we start, but it's how we finish. Because many start well, but the truth in who we are is how we finish. Amen? It's not enough to walk with the Lord for a few years when you're young and then get off track. We need to know we want to finish strong for the kingdom of God and for his glory. He forgot the kindness. How do you forget the kindness of 23 years of the guy raising you? Well, actually 29 years because they had you in their house since you were a year old. And they raised him, they fed him, they cared for him, they protected him, they saved his life, they poured into him. This just goes to show you how powerful wickedness and sinful behavior can become. He tells him, let him repay. Joash answered the kindness of Jehoiada again with the cruelty to the son of Jehoiada. And Zechariah was murdered in the same place that his father had anointed Joash king. His dad anointed him king in the very spot where he kills Jehoiada's son. Guys, when we get our eyes off of Jesus, the, the, the wickedness of man can go far beyond what we can even imagine. Amen? The only, the only good in us is the Lord. If we walk in our flesh, we will not, again, fulfill what the Lord has for us. Final point, verse 23. God's blessing or his righteous judgment. 
So he's killed Zechariah. So it happened in the spring of that year that the army of Syria came up against him and they came to Judah and Jerusalem and destroyed all the leaders of the people from among the people and sent all their spoil to the king of Damascus. For the army of the Syrians came was a small company of men, but the Lord delivered a very great army into their hand because they had forsaken the Lord of their fathers. So they executed judgment against Joash. God brought the Syrians who God had given them victory over before, but because now they had forsaken God, he allowed the Syrians in a very small number to come in and defeat a much mightier and larger army of, of Judah and destroy them because they had forsaken God. You know, our country, you can make the deba debate about Vietnam, but we've never lost a war. But you know what? We keep following down the ungodly path we're on. We might lose the next one. Can I get an amen to that? We cannot forsake God and expect God to bless us. And, and, you know, praise God that there's a godly remnant here. Otherwise, I think we'd have been done. I think Canada would have whipped us, right? You know, without the Lord on our side. Final verses. It says, And when they had withdrawn from him, they left him severely wounded. His own servants conspired against him because of the blood of the sons of Jehoiada, the priest. And they killed him on his bed. So he died. And they buried him in the city of David, but they did not bury him in the tombs of the kings. Now, even some of, the, even some of their, his own followers knew that what he did to Zechariah was wrong. And it says here, they were angered by that. And when he was wounded, they found him and they killed him. And notice, he's a king and he's not buried with the kings. Jehoiada wasn't a king, and he was buried with the kings because Jehoiada was a godly man, and because Zechariah become, I mean Zechariah, Joash had become a wicked man. They finished different, didn't they? Jehoiada finished strong. Joash finished walking in disobedience to God. Last two verses. These are the ones who conspired against him. Zabag, the son of Shimeath, the Ammonites, Jehoabad, the son of Shirath, the Moabites. Now concerning his sons and the many oracles about him, repairing the house of God. Indeed, they are written in the annals of the book of the Kings, first and second Kings. If you go back to I think it's chapter 17 of 2 Kings. You'll see it's either 12 or 17. It's the companion text for what we looked at today. Then Amaziah, his son, reigned in his place. So next week, we're going to pick up with his son. We're going to find out if his son follows in the godly part of his dad's raising, or he follows in the wickedness that he had at the end of his life. So in closing... It's not how you start, it's how you finish. Starting well. How do we start well? Given a strong foundation of truth, being raised by godly parents whose example you can follow, able to stand against lies and temptation. We saw that early in Joash's life. Having a heart for the things of God, doing everything we do for the Lord with excellence. He rebuilt the temple and did it with excellence. Giving and serving with a joyful heart. We saw the people of Judah were were loved the ability to give because it was for the temple and they wanted to honor the Lord and they recognized that all that they had belonged to him. And then number four, have to go beyond mom and dad's faith to our own. This is where it starts to change for Joash. And then we saw walk not in the counsel of the ungodly. So as soon as his godly influence is gone, he starts listening to the ungodly influence and it doesn't take long before he's walked away from the Lord. And the application for that is those of us that, again, whether we 
get married and move away, or we go away to college and we're not around that godly influence anymore. We need to make sure that we keep our eyes on the Lord and we don't lose sight of it. And then how do we respond to godly correction? He had an opportunity to repent. And what did he do? He hardened his heart and he killed the messenger. And then finally, God's blessing a righteous judgment. Well, we know that Jehoiada was blessed. He was buried with the king's And we know that Joash, who was a king, was not buried with the kings. And notice it doesn't even say he was buried with his fathers. So I would doubt that he's in heaven. That's ultimately God's judgment. Even though he was a man that was named as godly early in his life, I believe because of how he finished, he truly did not walk with God and God brought righteous judgment. Ultimately, that's God's call, not mine. I don't want it. But guys, I certainly would not want to stand before God having been told by Zechariah, God has forsaken you. Amen? Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you, we love you. You are a great and awesome God. Help us, Lord, to finish strong. Help us, Lord, to not be satisfied with saved souls and wasted lives. I pray for the young people, especially, Lord, as they they get married and move out or they go away to college. Lord, I pray that whatever they, with the stuff they've been taught now, that they would stand firm in it. They would continue to surround themselves with godly wisdom and counsel. And Lord, that they would continue to remain in fellowship. It's so easy for the enemy to draw them away. May they be salt and light on their college campus or where they go off to go to work. And I pray that for all of us, Lord, that we too would again have a desire to walk in the center of your will. Fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit. Use our lives for your kingdom and for your glory. We ask these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said. Amen. Is he